What is up, Cape Christian? How's everybody doing? Now, when I say what's up, Cape Christian, I mean those of you who are in here. I mean those of you who are watching online. I mean all of you who are in the chapel. Can we shout out to our chapel people over here? Yes. I mean all of you who are in the lobby because there wasn't room in the chapel. And I mean all of you who are in the cafe because there wasn't room in the chapel or the lobby or the worship center. We see you. We hear you. We are glad you are here. And uh, if you come earlier, no, just kidding. Uh, but hey, I just want to take a minute and just say this. Um, we are a growing church. God is moving. Uh, some of you are here because you're visiting. Some of you are snowbirds in your back. Some of you are just starting your faith journey. I just, I'm going to spoil it. In February, we are going to be spending the whole month talking about our building, our vision, our campaign. We have plans for a new building that's going to seat more than double of this. You're going to hear all about it. So if you're here in the lobby or the chapel or you're online, she's like, I'm not even going to try. Or you're in the cafe and you're like, I can't go back there. We know, we hear you and we're going to build something for you so there's room for everybody. That that's coming, so stick with us in January and February. Please, yes. So I'm so sorry. But the good news is I look way better on camera than I do in real person, so you guys actually have it better. Um, but for those of you who are stuck in here with me, um, we're really glad you're here too, whatever. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Hey, welcome to Cape Christian. Uh, we truly are a church for everyone. Uh, no matter why you're here, we're glad that you are. Uh, a couple things I want to say before we dive into the message. Number one, if you wrote your letter to God last year at the beginning of January and you left it with us, you can still pick that up at the Connect desk. Um, and second, I want to make everybody aware of something. We're doing something a little bit different with communion moving forward. One of the things I love about pastoring in uh, kind of a non-denominational or interdenominational church is many of us come from different backgrounds and we have different um, traditions or different things that are meaningful for us. And some of you come from a place where uh, communion or the sacraments is meaningful as a part of your connection to God and your worship. And while we don't do that every week, we wanted to make it available every week. So starting this week in the back corner of our worship center is a little station that will have communion emblems always on it for every service every week. So if that's something that you want, um, you can go back at the beginning of the service or after service or even during worship. You can slip out and just do that in your own way privately. Um, again, uh, we just, Jesus said, when you do this, remember us. It's not the only thing to remember us. It's not what makes us saved. But for some of you, if that's meaningful, we made that available. Then we will still do communion randomly throughout the year as we've done in the past, but that's available every week. And then on the other side over here is our new prayer wall. We moved it inside. If you have any prayer requests or anything, our pastors and our prayer team every week, it's our honor to believe God and pray for you. And so you can leave that there on that corner as well. So we wanted to just make you uh, aware of that. And then lastly, this weekend is exciting because we just started our 21 days of prayer. Yes, it's exciting because we want Many of us were about jumpstarting our relationship with God. We want to create space. And so we made just for you this booklet, 21 Days of Prayer. It started yesterday, actually, um, because we're going to go through the rest of the month of January and we're going to finish January 31st. And so if you didn't get one of these last week, um, they were here. You can pick them up at the Connect Desk. They're also on our app and our website uh, digitally. You can see these as well. And then every morning we're going to be posting a video to our social media, just a short commentary from one of the pastors. Yesterday it was me. Uh, today it was Pastor Dennis. And so uh, we just wanted to give you tools to grow in your relationship with Christ. So if you didn't get one of those, you uh, totally can. Uh, now that that's said, I want to dive back into our Jumpstart series. Um, we picked Jumpstart because we're aware it's a new year. We're aware it's a new decade. And it's a time, of, a time of year and even a time in some of our lives where we're thinking about what are our goals? What are our aspirations? And sometimes 
We just need a jump start. We need a kickstart to set some goals to get back on track. And last week we talked about jump start starts with bringing your life and your heart to the right mechanic. And we believe uh, that that is Jesus. We talked about how he wants to fix all the problems you know about. He wants to fix the problems you don't know about. And so today we're gonna kind of dive back into this idea uh, of, of repairs and jump start and the mechanic. But I just wanna be really honest with you. I know I looked apart right now, but don't let this fool you. I don't know that much about cars, all right? Like I, this is a, a I'm ashamed. I'm just posing right now. Like this is fake. Uh, I'm an actor. I'm, I don't, I'm a preacher. I don't know that much. I mean, I had people help me do this. Um, but I do feel for mechanics. Uh, I think the life of a mechanic is difficult. I have friends that are mechanics. So while I don't know a bunch about cars, I have friends that are because they have a life and they get to experience conversations that most of us would never experience in our job, in our marriage. And it's a daily thing. If you think about it, Part of what makes their life so hard is because most of us don't really understand what they do. They don't understand that world. Now, if you go to a, a restaurant, you order a medium rare steak and it comes back brown, you know enough to know this isn't right. And so you know to send it back. But when, you, when they say stuff about your car, like the blinker fluid and the drive shank and yeah, see, some of you know, like you're like, wait, is that a real thing? Like, what are we talking about here? And, 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 and really, if you think about it, they have to deal with us because somehow there's this narrative that they're all hoodlums, they're all crooked, they're trying to take advantage of us, they're lying, they're planting bombs in our cars and then asking us to pay them to defuse the bombs. And so a regular conversation that happens in a mechanic's daily life sounds something like this. You come in and you say, uh, hey, um, I need you to fix my car, but I don't have much money. I want you to give me a break on labor. I don't want to pay for diagnostics. Uh, to which a really good mechanic would say, we really would like to hook the car up. We want to run some diagnostics because we want to make sure we fix all the problems. And then, and then again, uh, the, to which we would respond, I've seen this happen. Well, you don't need to run the diagnostics because my friend works at a car dealership and he told me it was the alternator. Oh, your friend's a mechanic? Well, no, he just washes cars at the dealership, but he has lunch with all the mechanics. And I was explaining the noise to him and he explained it to them and they assured me it's the alternator. So I don't need you to charge me $75 for diagnostics. You just need to fix my alternator. And they deal with this on a regular basis. And then they have to deal with the fact that we don't even know how to describe what's going on in our car, but I think they have a little fun at our expense because we come in and it's always the same thing. Hey, I need you to, to fix my car. And so what's the first thing a good mechanic is going to say? Well, can you tell me a little bit about your car? Well, the answer is no, most of us can't. You know, it's like, well, I, it's a Toyota Camry. Right, right. But like, what else? What, okay, what can you tell me about your car? Well, it's got four doors. Yeah, are we talking XE, LE, like four cylinder, six cylinder? It's green. Okay, so they realize like they aren't going anywhere with us. And so, so then they just go to the next part, which is, well, you know, what brings you in here today? We all have basically the same answer is my car's not running right. Well, of course it's not. You wouldn't be here if it was. So can you tell me a little bit more? And this is where I believe they run cameras just so they can laugh at us later because we're about to have a conversation with an educated intellectual adult. As an educated intellectual adult, some of you, uh, that sounds like toddlers trying to talk. Because then they're going to ask the question, and this is where the joke is on us. They say, well, can you describe, because they'll say, can you describe what's going on in the car? And we all say the same thing, right? It's making a noise. <laughs> and then this is every mechanic's favorite question right here. Can you describe that noise? <laughs> no, you can't describe a noise, just like you can't describe the color purple, 
right? Have you think about it. So now you are an intellectual, educated person trying to describe, you know, like, have you ever seen Saving Private Ryan when they were in the bunker and, the, and they're in the dirt bunker and the, you know, the gun gets jammed, like, it's like, is that the sound your car is making? Well, kind of, but it's more, actually, it's more like if you've ever seen noodles get stuck in like a kitchen grinder, like, you know, or, um, and, but when I go downhill and to the left and if it's over 80 degrees, you know, it makes more of this like, you know, like a, like a Latino radio station, you know, kind of has kind of how it sounds, you know, like, and then, and then when I slow to go down to go the brakes, it makes this like hum, you know, like this humming, like, you know, to which like, and this mechanic is just staring at you. And this is a perfectly normal conversation where you're making descriptions about everyday things. And you were making these crazy noises come out of your mouth. You would never go to the bank and be like, my car's going like, yeah, that'll be $20. You know what I mean? And so they have to deal with this on a regular basis. And it's, and all these things are happening and, you know, we're trying to describe it. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And this happens every day. The sounds that we come, that come out of our mouth, it just may as well be a rap song. I'm convinced. The king goes, That's every day. That's every day. And it's completely normal. It's just completely normal. I, it's fascinating. Maybe you've had, so I feel for mechanics. And uh, I, maybe you've had an experience like I have recently. I recently, I took my car to get my oil changed and they had a special, right? It was one of those $35 oil change, uh, guarantee your car in an hour. So my expectation is I'm gonna drop my car off. It's gonna cost me $35. An hour later, my phone is gonna ring and they're gonna say, Mr. Demel, they're gonna call me Mr. Demel because they're always really nice. They're way nicer than a lot of other people. And they're gonna say, your car is done, I can't wait. So I drop my car off, I come to work. Uh, and maybe this has happened to you. 30 minutes later, my phone rings. It's the mechanic. Now, if they ever tell you it's gonna be an hour or two hours and they call you halfway in between, yeah, you know. This is not a good phone call. They're not calling to say, guess what? Everything was great. Uh, we had nothing else going on. Uh, it went so smooth. It's gonna be cheaper than we thought and we didn't find anything else. That's not what they're about to tell you. So they call me, this happened to me just a couple months ago. They said, yeah, we know you wanna, but they called and they said, we were looking under the hood. We were doing some diagnostics and we found some things. And then they proceed to tell you that while you hoped and thought you just needed an oil change, in fact, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's going wrong and they would love permission to fix that too. And they would like to keep your car longer and it's going to cost a lot more so that you can get moving down the road. Has this ever happened to you? Yes. This, okay. <laughs> sister, she's like, yes, preach, pass, because you're telling my story. This really just happened to me. What's interesting is we live in a time where cars are so essential. They get us down the road. They get us to where we're going. Your car gets you to work, gets you to your, your friend's house, to the party. It gets you to your kids' events. It gets you to church. Your car really dictates kind of the quality of your life. And when your car breaks down and it gets stuck, it kind of messes everything up, right? I mean, I just talked to somebody today who got a flat tire on the way to church. They're at this service because they didn't make the last service. Uh, we had a guest speaker at the men's breakfast yesterday. His car broke down. I had to almost go get him because when your car breaks down, it really affects a lot of other things in your life, right? Well, I believe that our heart is a lot like our car. I believe that your heart is what moves you through life, that gets you moving towards where you wanna go. It dictates your, your path. And when your heart gets broke down, jammed up, gets stuck, it really affects every other part of your life. 
I believe that your heart, just like your car, is moving you down the path. And, and, and sometimes our hearts break down and it'll affect our relationships. It'll affect our dreams. It'll affect our aspirations. And it really can have an effect on every other area of our life. And here's my question. Is it, why is it that we seem to wait until we can't go any further before we decide to fix or change something? What is it about us? Why is it that we wait till we seem not to go any further? It's like, you know, we take the car to the mechanic. They're like, you need to change this. And you need to change that. Like, no, I just want the oil changed. I just need to keep it going. Just keep it going. Keep it going. And then it finally, like all the wheels fall off. It explodes. You're like, well, I think we need to do something different now. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, we've been telling you this. And, and our cars are wired uh, to have lights that give us warning signs, right? We all have lights. Now we all have the check engine light that never goes off, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your blinker fluid. I'm talking about air tire pressure. I'm talking about wiper fluid. I'm talking about heating. You have lights on your dashboard that says, hey, alert, alert, warning, warning. Things aren't running properly. You need to do some maintenance. And if you don't, if you don't look at this, if you don't take some time and attention to work on this, things could get a lot worse. They could become more dangerous and they could harm people and they could cost you a lot more. I believe our heart is the exact same way. God wired us that our heart and our mind and our body gives us warning signs. Now, it may not be as obvious as the yellow check engine light, but I believe that we have things that come out of us. You may react a certain way. You might find yourself being depressed or angry or just really irritable or tired or unmotivated or, or really sad or you, you just lost motivation. You might find yourself. And all of those things aren't just like, ah, it is what it is. No, those are your heart saying, I'm sending you some warning signs. There's some things coming out that don't normally come out when you're operating function, functioning normally. And I believe that your heart probably needs some maintenance. And if you would bring your heart to the chief mechanic, Jesus, that perhaps he wants to do a little bit of maintenance so you can keep moving down the road, going the direction and going the way he wants you to go, being who you've been made to be, experiencing the joy and the peace and the purpose and the full life that God has for us. I believe it's for this reason that this scripture is in the Bible. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It was written by one of the wisest men ever. In Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, he says, this is Solomon, a king of Israel. He says, I got a lot going on, but here's what he says. Above all else, say above all. Above all, what does that mean, above all? <laughs> You're so smart. It means above all, pastor. Uh, it means first. It means like, hey, check it out. I know you got things. I know you got places to be. I know you got places you got to go, things you got to get to. And there's a lot going on. You got dreams. You got the business. You got the family. You got the... But before you do all that, like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. It, what it really means is the Latin word, yo, wait. He says, before you do all that, above all else, before you get going, he says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Watch this. For everything you do flows from it. So I think our question today, what I want to ask is, how are we doing guarding our heart? How is our heart? What's going on in there? Because the Bible, our loving Heavenly Father is saying, hey, I know you got plans and you're going, but some of you, maybe, maybe some of us are like our car. It's like, man, if we've been going, it's got miles, it's got wear and tear, and we know it needs fixing, but as long as I can get some gas and I can get some oil, I'm going to keep going. And you don't have to wait till it all falls apart, all breaks down, all hits rock bottom. Maybe, just maybe, if you had this ongoing relationship where God was saying, hey, let me have access to your heart. I want to keep you moving down the road. Our heart and our body give us warning signs. And I wonder if some of us, to jumpstart a new year, to jumpstart a new decade, to jumpstart this relationship with God, to be who we were made to be, rather than do more and create goals, maybe, 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 just maybe at the beginning of this time, God is saying, hey, first, let's, let's talk about your heart. And so I want to look at, there's a really great story in the Bible that talks about what is Jesus's posture 
when maybe our heart is broken, when we're stuck, when we literally can't move forward, because sometimes your car breaks down and you can't go forward. Sometimes life breaks down. Sometimes your heart breaks. Sometimes real life happens, real things, real regret, real hurt, real loss, real pain, real shame. All that stuff is really real. So what do we do when that happens? And I, I believe there's a great story that I believe God wants to say a couple things to us if we would just listen. So would you bow your heads with me? And let's just ask God to speak to our hearts, because uh, I believe he's got something. He really, I, I want to say this before we pray. I believe that in this message for some of you is going to be the key to the transformation that you've been waiting for for a really long time. It's, it, there's, a, there's a next level, there's another step, there's more that God has. And this, I believe this, I, I would say it so boldly, I believe that if you will take this to heart, this could be the catalyst for the change that you've been waiting and dreaming and praying and hoping and believing for. So let's pray that God would speak to us. God, nobody needs to hear from Corey. I don't really have anything to say, but you do. Your word does. And you are a loving father who loves your children and loves to speak to us. So thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, illustrations and imagery that make sense. Um, God, I pray that this would just make sense, that Holy Spirit, you are a master communicator. So I pray that you would communicate. We give you permission to just draw things out of our heart. Say what you want to us. Uh, and God, we just submit ourselves to you. And uh, in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, go Packers and go Chiefs. Oh, I thought the Titans fan was coming, or the Texans fan was like, it's like, oh, I got real, real. So listen, if you're a Packers or Chiefs fan, just have my back after this service, all right? Because I know, I know who goes to this church. I know who goes to this church. Uh, so there's a story in the Bible about, G it gives us a great picture of what is Jesus's position and posture to us when our heart or our life seems to be broken down or stuck or broken. And, uh, and, and so I'm going to pair, it's a longer story. It's in John chapter 11. I'm going to kind of give you the backstory and we'll read a few scriptures. But here's what you need to know. Jesus had these 12 followers called disciples. They were like his students and he trained them. But he had other people that would follow him that he got close with. And there's one particular family in the Bible that Jesus, we see reoccurring, having conversations with. And it's these two sisters named Mary and Martha. He, he eats with them frequently. They follow him. They're his disciples. In fact, this is the same Mary who washes Jesus's feet with perfume. It's the same Mary that Jesus reveals himself to for the very first time after he raises from the dead. Uh, and so he's really close to them. So you got Mary and Martha, and then you have this brother Lazarus, and they're really close. So Jesus is away. They live in a town called Bethany. Jesus is doing ministry and healing and loving and just changing the world somewhere else. And all of a sudden, their brother Lazarus gets sick. And in those days, anytime you got sick, it was potentially dangerous because they didn't have the drugs and the medicine that we do, both legal and illegal. Um, uh, and so, so it got really serious. But Jesus had this reputation for fixing things and healing people and caring about things that no one else cared about and being able to do things that no one else could do. And even in big crowds, he always cared about the one. And so they said, we got to send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick because we need him to come heal Lazarus. So word gets to Jesus that his boy Lazarus is sick and he decides he's going to keep hanging around in the town he's in for a couple of days. In fact, the disciples are like, yeah, this is a good idea because they want to kill you back there. So let's just stay here. And so he does his thing. And about two days pass. And the Bible says that then Jesus decides, well, maybe we should go check on Lazarus. And so they go back to check on Lazarus. And as they get close to the town that he's in, we pick up our story in John chapter 11, verse 17. It says this, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Whoops. Like Jesus wasn't a minute late. He was late, late. So he had been in the tomb for four days. That means there's been a death. There's been 
the rituals. There's been the, 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 they would have wrapped him in linen cloth and grave clothes. They would have poured spices. They would have had a procession. They would have had all this stuff. They would have then put him in a cave. They would have then put the stone over the cave. Like all that went down and Jesus was just doing his own thing somewhere else. Again, there's so much in this story we could talk about. I don't have time to preach all of it, but I want, to, I want you to under, at least understand what's going on. So here's the story. Jesus shows up and is like, oh, he's been dead for four days. Now, everybody else is like, man, we can't believe this, but we know that Jesus always knows what he's doing. And so he, he gets there four days. Well, the older sister, Martha, hears that Jesus has just shows up. So she leaves the house and goes running to find Jesus. And basically he's like, yo, where were you? If you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. And I think some of us know what it's like to be in a season. You know, God, if you would have showed up, where were you? If you would have done what I thought you should have done in the way I thought you should have done it in the timeline, I wanted you to do it. I wouldn't be in this situation. Sometimes things don't go the way we want, but that doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan. It doesn't mean he's not still moving. It doesn't mean he's not up to something. Can I get an amen? amen. And so Jesus shows up and Martha's like, man, I can't believe you weren't here. So then he's like, okay, well, go show me. I want to see where he's like, he's like, he's already buried. You missed it. Like you missed it. Funeral's over. Like people are out. So he's like, let's go find this place. And so they go to see where he's laid. And then Martha, the other sister, hears that Jesus shows up as well. So we're going to pick up our story in verse 32. It says this, that when Mary, the other sister, reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet in grief and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sounds familiar, right? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. He, was, he cared. It, it hit him in the heart. Verse 34, it says, where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Well, come and see, Lord, they replied. And so they went to see the tomb. And upon going there with these people who were grieving, and he sees the tomb, his friend, dead, buried. It says, Jesus wept. This is a powerful scripture. We're going to come back to this in a minute. But also, some of you in 2020, you made a goal in 2020 to memorize more scripture. May I submit for your approval this right here. Let's start. John 11:35. Jesus wept. You can now leave church having memorized the scripture. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. I ran a discipleship program for 16 years where they had to memorize scripture. I never had one student who didn't memorize this scripture. Uh, so Jesus wept. John 11:35. You are now putting the word of God in your heart. You're welcome. Um, but back to our story nonetheless. But I just, I'm a practical man. Uh, so let's keep going. Verse 36. So Jesus, but Jesus is broken. He's hurt. He's moved. Then the Jews said, this is super cool. Wow. See how Jesus loved Lazarus. Wow. See how he cares about the hurt and the brokenness going on around us. Verse 37. But some of them said, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So there's kind of a common narrative. Couldn't Jesus have stopped this? Where was Jesus at? Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb and there was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Again, I said, that's how they do it, did it in those days. Verse 39, it says, take away the stone. And this is such a sister reaction right here. He said, but Lord, Martha said, he stinks. Apparently that never goes away where sisters tell brothers they're smelly and they stink. Um, he said, Lord, the smell, by this time there will be a bad odor for he has been there for four days. But, but the picture is like, it's way too late. He's decaying. He smells. You're late. This is not going the way we wanted it to go. And then verse 41, it says, Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you're going to see the glory of God? Didn't I, didn't I tell you if you give me a chance, if you make room in your heart for me, if you make room in your life with a little bit of faith, didn't I tell you that I'm going to do things that you've never seen or heard of? And then he says this prayer. So he says, they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up to heaven. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And he goes, in fact, I know that you always hear me. But I'm saying this for the benefit of the people standing here listening and those who are reading 2,000 years later, that they would believe that you sent me, that, you would, that they would believe that I am who you say I am. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
This is a bold move. He's been dead a, a minute, a hot minute. He stinks. Now, we've seen Jesus pray for people and heal people. We've even seen people that we thought went from sickness to death, and then he laid his hands on them, and they came back to life. But we've never seen him call somebody out of eternity, out of the grave who've been gone. And he says, hey, Lazarus, come on out. And, and all of a sudden, this mummy walks out of a tomb. It says the dead man, and this is what's so interesting. I want, you, I want to say this. Watch what it says. It says the dead man. What was his name? But the story says he was a dead man. There's going to be people that want to try to tell you your story, and they're going to try to attach your past to who you are. But he was no longer the dead man. He was Lazarus. And so if you have an identity or a label that's following you from your past, know that that's not Jesus. He was always Lazarus to Jesus. He was, a he was a dead man to the readers, but he was his brother. He was, Jesus. He was Lazarus to Jesus. Some of you, you, you have permission to get rid of a couple of labels today. Some stuff that the world has said because you were divorced or because you went bankrupt or because you whatever. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I don't play that. You're Lazarus. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're Jill. You're, 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 you're Raekwon. You're, you fill in the blank. Whatever you're, my, hello, my name is. Whatever, mine's Corey. There you go. <laughs> I come here to tell you that. His hands, now watch this. I love how this story ends, last scripture. It says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Why? That's how they buried people. Jesus said to them immediately, take off the grave clothes and let's him go. Now, there's so much in this story. I could probably pull different things for four weeks and we would have so much to glean from. But there's two observations I want to make about this story. First of all, I love that Jesus did something that we've never seen. He literally pulled somebody from the grave. But first, I want to go back to the scripture we all just memorized, which was, look at you. You're the smartest church in America. <laughs> What'd you do in church today? Oh, I'll just memorize the Bible. No big deal. What'd you guys do? Uh, go back to verse 35. Jesus wept. Why did the Bible put this in here? Why is that there? And I think it's so important. This is one of our first takeaways from the story. Jesus, upon seeing the grief and seeing the hurt and the loss of Lazarus and how it affected all the people that loved him, Jesus so cared about their pain and their grief and their loss. In fact, the first thing I want to say is that Jesus cares about your pain. He cares. He was moved to tears. He was so moved that they were lost and there was grieving and that he looked, it says he looked upon Lazarus and he was moved. And so you need to know if you are in pain, you're carrying shame. If, you're, if your life is broken, if your heart is broken, you have a God of the universe, not just that wants to solve your problem, but he probably cares more than any person on the planet ever will about your current situation. And here's my favorite part about this. What did Jesus come to Bethany to do? Raise Lazarus from the dead, right? So even though Jesus already knew how the story was going to end, he already knew the death to life. He knew the healing. He knew the resurrection. He knew the good things that were coming. He knew what was on the other side. He didn't get so caught up in the future that he didn't care about the here and now. What does that mean? I believe some of you, your life, your heart is broken. You've, you've been broken down. And God has this other side. He's got this future. He's got this hope, this healing, this, this freedom, this forgiveness, this, this freedom from your past. And I think some of us, maybe we think that, well, when I get there, then God will love me or he'll be proud of me. But you need to know that there is a God in heaven who cares so much about the here and now that your pain and your story matters to him. Even though he knows what's on the other side, he knows what he has for you. The experience and the turmoil that you're experiencing right now really matters to him. I think there is so much comfort in the fact that the person who has the ability to move me through this brokenness also cares more than anybody else ever will. That's why I, one of the many reasons I serve and love Jesus, because not only is he going to help me walk through it, but he cares. You, he, I said last week, there's nothing we've experienced. He hasn't experienced. He gets it. He knows pain. He knows loss. 
And so Jesus cares about your pain. There's somebody, there's people you're watching, you're listening, and it maybe feels like nobody else cares. And, and it really might be true right now. There may not be a human on the planet that has the capacity to understand and care, but I want to tell you, Jesus does. Jesus does. And it really, really, really matters so much that he would weep. When you weep, he weeps with you. When you hurt, he hurts with you. When you break down, he cares. He's not just like, well, suck it up. You have little faith. Don't you know what I'm about to do anyway? That's not his posture to us. But some of us, we feel that way. He's like, hey, man, hey, girl, hey, daughter, hey, son. I'm, I know what's coming, but I know right now is really hard. So if you will hold on and trust me and stick with me, we're going to get through this. But I just want you to know I hurt because you hurt. Some of you, your healing and your freedom starts with knowing that if you're addicted, he hurts because you're addicted. He's not mad because you're addicted. He, he's hurt because you're hurt. He's not waiting for you to get better and clean yourself up and then come to him. That's so awesome about our Jesus. Then the second part is, I love the first, what's the first thing Jesus did after he says, hey, Lazarus, come out. What's the first thing he did? He didn't go send him on his way. He didn't give him a mission. He didn't go hug him. Watch what he says. As soon as he came out, he says, hey, take off his grave clothes. And this is so significant. This is so significant because Jesus doesn't just care about your pain, but he will free you from your past. See, the grave clothes, he was alive, but he would have literally been almost looked like a mummy where it says his feet and his hands and his body was wrapped and there was cloth around his head. So he had come back to life. He had been resurrected, but he was so unbelievably limited. And had he lived like this the rest of his life, he wouldn't have been able to see. He wouldn't have been able to walk. He wouldn't have been able to use his hands. He wouldn't have been able to do normal everyday things. And I think it's a great picture of how some of us are living. We've put our faith in Jesus. We put our hope in Jesus. We've actually been resurrected from death to life. But the reality is we're still dragging our grave clothes around with us. We're dragging our past. There's all these symptoms and symbols of our past, of our death, of the, the things that were dead in our past. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want to free you from that. You don't have to be limited. I didn't bring you back to life to be like, look at his life. It sucks. He can't do nothing. I brought you back to life so you could experience this full, joy-filled, purpose-filled, kingdom-minded, kingdom-building, peace in the middle of a storm, always have a savior, never gonna leave you, never gonna forsake you, life. So you gotta take some of those grave clothes off. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it looks like what happened with me. So my mechanic says, we found some things. I was like, what'd you find? He's like, well, you need all new tires and your brake pads are worn. I was like, well, do we have to fix it? He says, no, you don't. I said, well, let's just pretend I didn't. What could happen? He says, well, your tires could go bald. You could go off the road. He goes, if your brakes go out, you could hit somebody. You could do an, have an accident. It would hurt anybody in your car, hurt other drivers. You're putting yourself and other people at dangerous. He said, or you could let us keep the car for a little while longer. It cost you, gonna cost you $900, but you can move safely down the road and you can go be who you're supposed to be and you can get to where you're gonna go. It's just gonna be a little bit of a temporary inconvenience because we need to do a little bit of extra work. It's gonna be a little bit more time. And I think some of us, we're living this life where we just want Jesus to do the oil change. I just want an oil change. And Jesus, for a long time, there's been warning signs and he's saying, I got some work I wanna do. We got some brake pads. We got, you overreact. There's some anger. There's some addiction. There's, there's, some, there's some like self-doubt. There's this, you hate yourself. I wanna, I wanna free you from this death of your past. I wanna free you from this thing that has gotten you down. You're like, no, can't I just pay $35 and be on my way in an hour? To which Jesus will always say, yes, you can. But if you will let him, I believe some of us, he's asking, can I get under the hood and can I do some work? Can I run some diagnostics? So I paid $900. I'm still paying $900. Six months interest free. <laughs> I'll be free in March. Uh, I got grave clothes till March. Uh, but some of us, that's it. But here's the difference between the mechanic and Jesus. He already paid the price. 
He already paid for all of your mistakes, all of your shame. He paid for all of your mistakes. But what it will cost you is time and trust. Time and trust. He's, you don't gotta pay for your mistakes, but he's saying, hey, rather than make these goals and dreams and achieve and aspire, could you actually park your heart in the, in the, in the uh, shop for a little bit? Can we do some work? Can we talk about some things? Can we go over some stuff? So it took longer than I had hoped. It cost more than I'd originally planned, but it helped me what I needed to do to avoid something much more dangerous and damaging later on down the life. Some of us were dabbling in, a, in, in maybe something in life and it's no big deal and we're getting away with it and it's not, but it can turn into something way bigger in your marriage or an addiction or it could cost your finances or you're, you're messing with some sort of sin issue or there's a relationship that's maybe just seems, well, it's just platonic, whatever, but it could end up, the devil's plan is for it to ruin your marriage and God is like, hey, I'd like to talk to you about that. Now there's some warning signs going off and if you keep going this way, you're gonna have a major breakdown and AAA is gonna be the least of your concerns. So will you let your heart be in the mechanic? Is there some areas of your heart? When was the last time you let God have your heart? And I wanna say this, because I think this is gonna help some of you. I, I felt like God gave this to me for this message. Some of us, maybe we've been told or we've been thought that if I come to church, that's like bringing my heart to the mechanic. Can I just tell you that one hour a week out of 168 hours, this is not bringing your heart to the mechanic. All this is is putting gas in the car. Church is just putting gas in the car. Yeah, it'll probably get you to the next week, but for you to have your heart in the mechanic is a personal time with Jesus on a regular basis where you create space and you create time and you pray and you read the Bible. It's why we do the 21 days of prayer. It's why we're commentating on it because we wanna give you tools. Next week, we're gonna talk about how do we do this and what does it look like? But as we close this week, I just wanna ask a couple questions, kind of the same question, two different ways. I said at the beginning is I believe that the transformation that some of you are looking for is, is in this. I'll tell you for me, my first year and a half of ministry, I've talked about this before. I, I moved, I left, I left school and I did a, an internship and came on staff at a church. And I thought God's plan for me was get married, get my ministry license. I was gonna go change the world. What I didn't know is for 18 months, he just wanted my heart in the shop. And he, we went through all my past. I went through some pain, some things I was avoiding. I had some things that I was ashamed of that I had never talked about. There were some things that happened to me that, I, that were affecting me. I was so in need of approval. I was like this chameleon and I just needed you to like me. And it, it affected my ability to be the leader that God called me to be, to be the husband I dreamed to be in one day, to be the dad I wanted to be. I wanted to be this great dad, but I didn't understand God as a loving father. And he was trying to say to me, how are you ever gonna give love as a father if you've never received love as a father from me? And so for 18 months, I journaled and I prayed and I cried. And to be honest, it was one of the hardest things I ever did. But see what I didn't know then that I know that was, he was thinking of today, 20 years ago. He was thinking of the marriage I've had for the last 15 years where we're close and we have trust and I can serve and she can serve and I get what I need from God. So I don't respect, I don't expect it from her and she can get what she needs from God and she doesn't expect it from me. And I can be patient and selfless with my daughter most of the time. Uh, <laughs> but I know how to love like a father. I know how to give and I know how to be. I understand the idea that I'm the best picture of a heavenly father she's ever gonna have. And I take that seriously. Why? Because for a year and a half, while I thought I was gonna be training for ministry, all God did is wreck me, rebuild me, strip me down. And it was the hardest and best thing I have ever done. And I pray for that for some of you that you've just been going and going and going. And I believe that God's just saying, will you stop? Will you, will you give me your heart? Some of you have been avoiding some stuff that you know, the, you know the warning signs and God is saying, if you let your heart be in the, in the shop, I can fix it. I can take care of it. I care about your pain. I can free you from your past. Time to get rid of some of those grave clothes. So two questions. Number one, just generally speaking, how's your heart? How's your heart? Maybe a better way to ask it is this. Go ahead and put the second one up. Is there anything going on? Are there any repairs that are overdue? And God is saying, I'd like to have some work done on your heart. Maybe you're carrying shame or regret or there's a secret life or there's just, maybe you're really insecure. For me, I was insecure. I never could have led like this. I, I wanted to be anybody other than myself. 
Maybe you, maybe you hate yourself. Maybe you have these other things and God is saying, hey, I'm the one who brings death to life, but you gotta give me access. I've asked Desi to come and just sing a song. I just wanna take like two minutes. I wanna just jumpstart this for you. I wanna create just a little bit of space this morning before we walk out of here. She's gonna sing a song and it's a great prayer. I'm just gonna invite you right where you're at to bow your heads, close your eyes and just have a moment with God and just reflect and even think and pray about these questions. Is there any repair that's maybe overdue and God is saying, I'd like to do some work on your heart. Desi's gonna sing and then I'm gonna come pray back in just a minute. Show me your way, whatever it takes to change. Cause I see what's new. Looking at how far I've come, here is my life. Don't let me forget the way. Here is my life. I can't afford to stay the same. So show me your way, whatever it takes to change. Cause I see what's new. Looking at how far I've come, here is my life. Don't let me forget the way. Here is my life. I can't afford to stay the same. Keep my soul, keep my spirit, keep. Keep our soul, keep our heart moving forward. And so we're saying to you today, we give you permission to do the work you need in our heart. That if there's death, if there's grave clothes, if there's past, it's keeping us back. God, we give you permission, we give you access to do the work you need to do. Whatever it takes to change. God, I believe this is the year of new life. I believe there's transformation and life change for us. But God, it starts with maybe us slowing down and creating space for you in our daily life. God, that this one hour together, as amazing as it is, a week, isn't enough, that we would do it in our daily life and that we would do what we have to do. Even if it takes a little more time, if it's a little bit more inconvenience, God, that we would trust that you are getting us moving down the road, keeping moving, moving us forward in our life, in our dreams, in our marriage, in our family, in all that you have for us. 
God, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, I pray that they would know that a, a relationship with you is, is so easily had because you already made up the distance and you paid the price and you just are asking us to trust you and invite you into our life. So God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring about our hurt. Thank you for freeing us from our past. God, we want all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.